Monroe Corrupt. It's Forwards Backwards Podcast, coming to you not from the corner of Glenway and Monroe and not from the Give Me Some Truth studios. This week, we discuss the home away from home opener, whether Union Omaha is the greatest team of all time or greatest team ever, and the Henny Derby. As always, I'm joined by the Laurel to my hearty, Kyle Carr, a.k.a. the hardest working man in Madison sports podcasting. I know time no longer exists, but how did Deli Ali manage to turn himself into his own dad? All I know is someone in his circle should have consulted with him and say, are you sure you want to look like that in that kit? Because that was a very questionable look that he's presenting. I don't know if he's trying to join Fort Lauderdale and get into that business over there. I don't know what his idea was with the hair, his facial hair situation. Um, Obviously wearing that kit was a disaster in the first place, but he can't really do much about that. As a, as a guy with my own facial hair issues, you know, I can, I can respect an effort. Um, but you, you don't go out in public like that. You don't, you don't bring that out. You can't go half-ass with the goatee. You got to go all in. And I am incapable of fully growing a goatee. So thankfully my facial hair just gets to the point where it gets a little scruffy and then I have to shave it. But for him, he was, it, it was just like halfway through. Again, he looked like someone's dad about to kick my door in and get a belt. So I don't know what, I don't know what the look he's going for. He, but it's a look. He, uh, you know, we were talking about the, we know the exact pair of Nikes he owns with some, you mentioned with some tube socks. Good old Air, Air Monix with some tube, tube socks. Yep. <laughs> and definitely that guy, he's, he's out there. He's going he's gonna to mow the lawn uh, multiple times and talk to you about proper <clears throat> technique for lawn care. Oh yeah, he's going to do that. He's going to fire up the grill every Saturday morning. 10 a.m. Sun's out, grill's going, and it's gonna it's gonna taste good. The food's gonna taste great, but it's gonna <laughs> you be every go to Ali's barbecue is what you're saying. But you know, uh, the only only other thing I can think of is maybe this was a cry for help. Like it, it, this Deli wasn't Ali's a like, save me from me Jose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like save me from Jose please. year two because yeah. I'm already gonna get roasted in that Amazon special. I don't need another season of it. <laughs> How excited, by the way, are you for the, for the Amazon special, even after the, the, like, well, especially after the little 30-second clip came out of, of Jose? I, once I find out that's available, that is the first thing I'm watching, whether I am still working at home or not. It is going to be must-watch. I might have to. And also with that press, con- with not the press conference, but the training meeting that he had with the players where he just drops a certain word that I probably shouldn't repeat. But if you haven't uh, seen it, rhymes, around, rhymes with runt. Yes. And <laughs> slightly more uh, used in the UK than here in the United States. But, uh, you know, it's a common staple in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Um, that also brings up last week. I briefly thought, and I don't even remember what league two, uh, the, the championship, uh, English championship semifinal. I briefly thought I was watching and you weren't, and that might've been the high point of my week. And so I'm curious, do you just record everything and just start when you wake up in the morning at work, you know, just watching everything while you're working? How does this work? How do you watch so much sports, Kyle? So last you're married, week was... you have a child. <laughs> Well, that was part of the reason why. Last week, I was home with the child, so I didn't work that week. So that kind of just left me with, what am I going to do for most of the day? And good old Foot Mob app, it tells you every match that's going on in different leagues. I kind of looked. I saw, I was like, all right, there's a championship match, or there's a League One match, or, you know, a Australian A-League is going, so I can watch that first thing in the morning. And that's kind of how I did it. It's just 
I checked the foot mob app and because I had all the time in the world, I was able to watch it. But today I actually had to go back to work. So I didn't watch any matches, which is, I think the first day in, I don't know. I don't know the last time I went on a day without watching a match. So I might, change, I might have to change that. <laughs> That's just shocking. And now, uh, you know, the, the brew hoop pod is back up and, and the bucks are, are back in it. They, they, uh, they beat the Celtics and lost to the Rockets, right? Is that? Yeah, which I guess I'll accept. I don't want the Bucks to lose, especially to the Rockets, because their fans are one of the most obnoxious fan bases in the NBA. But thankfully, they are beat they this the most obnoxious. Omaha, or are they that side of Omaha? Oh, no, no, no. no. They make Omaha seem modest. It's, <laughs> it's very impressive. Rockets Twitter is a mess. Self Twitter might be the worst of them all, and thankfully the Bucks won. So I can at least accept that. Uh, so, uh, this week on the pod, Neil, uh, Hlavati will not be joining us. Cowboy Neil at the wheel Hlavati. He's going to be, he's updating his Poshmark page. Uh, Flamingo suggested that if we saw many more matches like, uh, last week, we, we take over Neil's, uh, Poshmark page and put Neil up for sale on there. Um, I have not yet started the Hlavati out hashtag on Twitter. But, you know, he knows he knows that if he upsets me, doesn't show up in the pod again, I'm, I'm breaking it out. There's a certain butcher that will come for him. Yeah, th- that's that's definitely true. Uh, we are, uh, however, now with uh, featuring your best friend, a guy who I think you're talking to, what, six or seven times this week. We're doing a media tour across USL and America. It's I, I quite, can't it's wait. Quite the I, time. I can't wait until you guys break out the Henny Darby book and you guys are doing like the book tour and signing books and carrying the, the Henny Darby trophy with you. I think that's really the, the future. I think that might be the first thing post COVID I'll have to do. So we're going to, we're going to do an interview here after we do our match recap with Elliot Barr, who is uh, the host of the river city 93 podcast with uh, Chenier, Chenier Duran the second. Uh, and then they also host one of my favorite uh, podcasts because I love anything to do with soccer history, especially here in the U.S., uh, the Can I Kick It podcast, which uh, focuses on the involvement of uh, black players in, in American soccer and world soccer because they featured Wendy Renard. Um, the story of Lincoln Phillips, who was the head coach of, of Howard University, really spans beyond. I mean, he was a leading goalkeeper for Trinidad and Tobago in the, the 1970s, um, and so it spans beyond. Uh, Demarcus Beasley, who I learned the tidbit. I don't know if you heard about this. His car got blown up in Glasgow when he lived there. That was my favorite tidbit. It gets rough over there. You know, you got you're in the wrong part of town and stuff like that is just a normal Saturday, I guess. And, and the amazing thing was he wasn't the only guy that had his, had his car blown up. I was like, you know, what's going on in, in Glasgow? And I have a good friend from Glasgow. And I was like, what, how often was this happening back then? Even I feel like this wasn't even that long ago. This was maybe what ten years yeah. ago, at the, like maybe ten, yeah, about ten years ago. <laughs> two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I think is if I remember correctly when I looked at the headline. Um, yeah. So and uh, so, really uh, recommend you check out that podcast. And you appeared. Uh, they scooped us this week on the Henny Derby preview because they recorded on Sunday, and uh, you appeared there uh, with them. And uh, now we're having Elliot on. Um, to, to talk about the, the, the Henny Derby, give us a little bit of preview of what to look for with Richmond. We're going to have a little bit more time this week, I think, because uh, as we're going to talk about here, we're going to get into our, our review of uh, the, the home away from home opener with Greenville. Uh, fortunately, no snow this time, but uh, very similar to last year's match in that no goals were scored. Honestly, snow probably would have 
at least give us more things to talk about and a little bit more. Uh, well, this is why. Now, there have been one goal, and that was at Bree Stevens last year, not in the, not in the snow opener, in four games. And so I wonder if these are just two teams that when they set up against each other, you're just – the styles are not conducive to good soccer. Uh, you know, it's, it's conducive to kind of a turgid, turgid affair, as our favorite word is on this podcast. I would equate it to a Jose Reno match against an Aston Villa or Burnley. It's not going to be entertaining. It's not going to be good. One team is intentionally doing that. The other team is incapable of doing it. And I think that's really how I would describe these four matches. You know, you can give a pass for the snow opener. Okay, it was snowing. It was the first home game. They're still relatively getting used to play each other. That's whatever. It's now been a year and a half. Um, and yeah, I think just how these two teams play, they are the type that we have the two best defenses in the league. And we're just going, you're not going to score on us. And we're going to make sure that you have no chances of scoring us. And if that comes at the detriment of, you know, trying to play free flowing attack, it's okay because we're going to bank on, you know, for Madison, JC Banks or Don or Paulo or Woj and Federico, you know, there's Alex Burrell or Jake, Keegan or Carlos Gomez, and they're just going to hope that their individual talents can push through. Yeah, and and you know one of the interesting things too, if you if you look at the heat map, both teams it looked like it looked like a literal donut, um, where there was a really red spot right in the middle of the field, and then red all the way kind of outside of that in a green, where it looks like you know teams just didn't want to play a lot through the middle because they knew. You know, both teams were kind of set up to to slow that down, and and that leads to that turgid, not very exciting. Neither team, you know, uh, completed a lot of a lot of passes, and so it's that tight thing. I, you know, you had said a uh, Jose Mourinho. I was thinking of when Mourinho was at United and Jurgen Klopp with Liverpool. You know, those Klopp would set up his team where it was very very conservative early on. You know. And it was like he would kind of take a zero-zero draw. He didn't want to risk too much against those Mourinho teams because, you know, and both of these teams counter very well. And I think both teams kind of have that sense like, oh, if we make a mistake, you know, they can, they can pounce on it. And, you know, you saw a couple of mistakes in, in the course of the match where there were chances. And so we'll talk about that a little bit going forward. That said, the, the second kind of key point that, that jumped out at me was this is a pretty sloppy match, ultimately, even if we take into account the sort of tactical uh, nuances and adjustments of the match. Um, you know, forward, I think, com- completed something like 78.2% of their passes. Um, you know, uh, they had the majority of the possession, uh, in fact, 52%. And you looked at Greenville, and they completed like 76 77% of their passes. So you just you know, and there were blown traps. Jose at Trimmingham, you know, had four or five long balls. The opening play of the game, they passed it back to Eric Leonard, and he promptly kicked it out of bounds. Which, that was a good indicator of how that match is going to go. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I think there was a fair amount of sloppiness we saw throughout that match, too. Yeah, and I think it was one of those where neither team was able to put together, you know, five pass, five good passes in a row. They would maybe do two or three, and they pass back. And I know, especially with Ford Madison, they were they kind of got the ball. And they tried hoofing it up the field, hoping that Don or Paulo or Woj could get it. And most of the time, that wasn't the case. There's only one moment, and I know we'll probably talk about it, where Dallas J was way off his line, and I kind of noticed he was off his line a lot. And I don't know whether that was just 
plan or because he knew that it would just be a lot easier for him to deal with than to try and put his center backs in a compromising position. But yeah, I think that was just both of their game plans of we're going to try and counter, we're going to try and counter quickly and directly. And unfortunately that was at the detriment of trying to build, trying to actually build a play. And then the, the third sort of key point, and this is the second week in a row, we, we didn't see all that much from Don Smart and, and Paulo Jr. this week again. And I'm starting to get a little worried. You know, Paulo has one assist so far. But overall, I, I just didn't feel like those two guys felt integrated into the, into the play as well as, you know, they were last year. Yeah, it's tough. Look, I was really harsh on Don Friday night after the match. But when I rewatched it on Sunday – Don did in the first half, especially Don had two good passes from the wing that he got into the middle. One, I think was to Paulo and Paulo just couldn't get the, t- the right touch on it and unable to get a shot off. And the other one, I think was to Louis who then crossed it to JC and he just missed the header. So at least with Don, he was able to kind of get those passes in and his work rate defensively has been great these last two matches. So I'll give Don yeah. that credit, but with Paulo, it just seems like he's, He's been out of the two. He's the one that's concerning me more. And I don't know if it's just he needs games. I don't know if it's because he's playing more at wide. Well, last year, part of it was because of the lack of a true number nine that he was able to just kind of go more central and influence it more. Um, yeah, he's definitely been the guy that they they need him to step up only because, you know, when you look at the bench options, do you put Monus? Do you throw him into the fire and hope for the best? Do you maybe try Jameel Cox? Do you move Jiro further up the pitch and throw Pato at left back and make Eli right back? Like, that's when it starts becoming – it's not like the options you have. I mean, they're, they could be good options, but do you really want to take that risk? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, the thing about that maybe we'll see uh, – and I'm surprised at how little we've seen Jameel Cox so far this year because they brought him in – really to push Don and, and Paulo. And, you know, he's got that, he's, he's a pacey player. He's got that speed down the wing. And so you'd think maybe, you know, there's a chance that, that hopefully we could see him. Monus is, has been sliding in out wide right more. That seems to be where he, he tends to be a little bit more comfortable. So we may, you know, that may be where we see things long-term for Monus. Um, but he's gotten quite a bit of playing time already, young, young Monus. So maybe, maybe we, throw him into the fire we will see but I have I would agree with you Don's defensive effort has been really strong and then in the second half you know as as we saw that there was a change and 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 smart moved more into a central role which was kind of interesting and that shifted things um you know early on there was uh the the best chance very early on was kind of from a, a back pass from uh Tobin in the fifth minute where he played it back to Marchetta Marchetta uh mistakenly or because he felt in danger uh, or because you can't tell what line is what (laughs) yeah yeah he wasn't quite sure where on the field he was but he picked it up it was an intentional back pass uh that led to an indirect free kick uh for greenville uh i thought marchetta made a fantastic save but uh uh, one of the things that i I didn't note right away i didn't note on my second watch but i did note on the first one and i want to give you a chance to talk about this drop balls. I believe there were three. And I know one of, one of your deep seated issues with this particular ref is that he loves a good, a good drop ball. Yes. There were three drop balls. Um, this is the same ref where last year in the first Richmond match of the heavy Derby, instead of giving forward an advancement due to a foul that Richmond committed, they went with the drop ball 
all chaos ensued. And this wasn't what necessarily led to Daniel Jackson's goal, but it was kind of one of those where it set the tone. And this ref has been very card friendly. I'm surprised he only gave one yellow card, according to research that Andrew Schmidt, our good old overlord, had provided in the four matches last year in USL League One. He gave, let's see, 11, 16, 17 yellow cards in four matches. And four Madison were involved in two of them. So I don't know what it is with this ref. I don't think he's a good ref. He's one of those kinds that he just doesn't have control of the game and trying to go with drop ball. This is not hockey. It is not lacrosse. Stop trying to do it. Just knock it off. It's not a good idea. No one's injured. Are, are you glad, however, that you didn't know that those statistics about his yellow cards before the match? Because you probably would have been worried that this was going to put a pretty serious dent in your pocketbook for the donations to charity. Honestly, with how that match was going, I, when I got the yellow card at the end, I was like, you know what? At least this game was a complete wash. <laughs> there was some money that's going, so that's fine. But no, I despise this ref with a passion. I don't know how he's still a ref at this level. And I well, know it's and, and, unfair because he's probably not a full-time gig, but at the same time, you got to do better. Uh, and, and you know, one of the frustrations as uh, uh, fans of uh, – USL League One, and if you're new to USL League One, you will discover the refs are uh, a baffling bunch because in many cases, too, it's it's just things that should have been called. I mean, last week we talked about it where there was a follow Marchetta and there was no free kick. He just he was allowed to just distribute it from his hands and keep playing. So, you know, that's it's the sort of it's not the judgment calls that irritate us as much as they're just rules not applied or missing or or you get three drop balls in a match, which I've gone, you know, probably a whole premier league season without seeing a single drop ball. So, you know, those sorts of uh, things are, are kind of interesting. And you can um, definitely talk about it with at the end. And I'm sure Greenville fans were as annoyed where there could have been a penalty shout that Greenville should have gotten a penalty near the end of the match. And then forward go on the counter, they get hacked. And instead of giving them the advancement, which could have been a good opportunity for forward, it becomes a stoppage of play. It's kind of those things where it's those type of mistakes that infuriate people more than, you know, giving a questionable penalty. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the misunderstandings or, or not at applying the, the rule properly. Um, other than the first train in the, the eighth minute, not a lot happened. Uh, forward finally had kind of a long ball over the top in the, the 15th minute. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, Dallas Jay was off of his line and, and claimed it. And w- what did you notice in particular about sort of Dallas Jay's positioning? I, I thought, you know, he was he was very well positioned overall um, from my perspective, but wanted to see what your thoughts were there. He was definitely well positioned. It was just, I feel like because of Greenville's back line, he doesn't need to, you know, necessarily be as high up as he was. And I don't know if it was because of all the suspension and injuries that they changed the back line. I think they threw a midfielder in the center back role. So maybe it was just a little less trust in the back line that he's used to. You know, you don't have Fricky. Um, Pollitz was the only starter out of the ones from that same, from the uh, Richmond match. So maybe that was the case. But yeah, he was a little bit higher. He was still in good positions. You know, there was never a moment where a Ford Madison would have gotten a ball in the middle of the pitch and been able to kind of do like a, Carly Lloyd in the World Cup or Mo Salah against Man City kind of chip. Um, so that was a thing that I noticed. And it was kind of something that kept bearing itself. And I think maybe, like I said, Litford 
constantly trying to do a long ball. He was just more prepared for it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting one from the perspective of of the goalkeeper. I think we all remember uh, the long, you know, the Carly Lloyds, the, the long 50 yard tries where the goalkeeper is way out versus you don't remember all the, the through balls that a guy like Dallas J collects from being that much higher. And so I think there's a tendency for that conservative nature to, to take over. Whereas I think, you know, if you look at the way forward was playing for someone like Dallas J the statistically opportune thing was to play a little bit higher. Um, and, you know, those, those, those are, you know, we remember those goals because they happen so, so rarely. And, and I think it's not just that the goal, goalkeeper is off of his line, but it's also that the goalkeeper is caught sleeping. Um, mm-hmm. those, or misplaced in the pass. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you, if you are the one that plays it and you're, you're 13 yards out and it comes right back at you, you know, you're pissed that you lost the pass, you lose that step. But most goalkeepers, you know, on a, on a shot from 50 yards out should be able to, if they're standing at their 18, get back and tip, you know, a shot over, um, especially if they have, you know, really strong footwork like Dallas J. So I think from that perspective, I understood what he was doing. And as a shorter guy myself, you know, as a goalkeeper, you're always looking for those ways to, to help out, you know, ways uh, that are different from someone like a, a, if you're six five and you're you know more comfortable sitting behind a deep defense, you know a shorter goalkeeper can add more. You know you can you can add a little bit more like Jorge Campos or or you know someone like that. So I think you know from that perspective it it seemed all right. And then you know the other one everybody thinks if you're shorter like Dallas J they can they can chip you, but you don't get to his level in the game without being able to have some some pretty good hops to to cover you know, those high balls. So a lot of times you want, you tempt guys into that shot because you know you can save it um, from that perspective. So, yeah, I think it was interesting. And from a positioning standpoint, you know, especially knowing that forward was going to be bombing balls over the top, it made a lot of sense. One thing positionally that struck me and it came up in a, in a uh, kind of couple p- places right around there, Woj in the 17th minute has perhaps forward's best chance uh, before the, the Banks header uh, where he hit it you know, into the football crossbar um, and maybe was trying to go over the, the head of, uh, of Dallas J there. But one thing I noticed was Woj was dropping pretty deep all match. And that has me a little worried because it worries me that he's worried he's not going to get service. Um, and with, yeah, with the last two games in particular, he has dropped deeper and deeper. Part of it is just so he can get the ball. And I think that's also forwards midfield that, I would say the subs that Daryl made were a little bit more defensive in the Greenville match. Um, part of it is because a center back gets hurt. Eric Leonard has to slide back so that he, you force, you know, Fernandez this time, he's now playing the six. Louie was kind of trying to play the six, but then he gets up. Brandon Eaton comes in. And when we get done kind of playing more centrally and JC gets up, I think it was just more of a defensive situation where you know a guy like Mike Vang would unlock I think he could unlock this kind of unlock it for Woj more often and I think you know last year with Josiel Nunez that was a guy that everything would go through him and he would he was able to connect you know the defense with the attack and him and JC were able to kind of run around and interchange but you haven't seen it this year that's part of it like I said is how the midfield is set up and it's a little bit more defensive so whenever Mike Vang does get his paperwork cleared, does that change when he slots in? Do you throw in someone like Jamil Cox and maybe try and go with that 
you know, more aggressive type of midfield. Um, I don't know, but yeah, it seems like Loge, it, he, I, I felt like in the green match, he was not getting the service at all. And most of the chance that he got was just because the ball just randomly fell on his foot. Yeah. And so, you know, just, and those subs t- took place at halftime at the sort of 30th minute. In fact, the, the other good chance of the half took place when Woj dropped deep, played it out to, to uh, you know, why there was a smart cross that was cleared and then it fell to Louis Bennett. Louis Bennett hit it, the cross, you know, into banks and, and missed the header. But I think what you're saying, and it, it speaks, the midfield is something that is, I don't love the subbing patterns in the midfield right now, to be honest with you. Um, and, and we saw it last year, we struggled a lot performance dipped a lot when the situation arose where Leonard had to drop into the center back position. And, you know, that was a lot of times because why it gets called up or, or, you know, something like that. We have a little bit more depth. Chrysler, uh, Jalen Fiat Chrysler is out, you know, with an injury, which I uh, didn't think was that serious, but maybe they're just taking the precautions with the short, the short run and so on and so forth, you know, be safer. You don't have time to, to kind of get back to, to your feet. And to my mind, the six is, especially in building up midfield play and connect, connectivity, the, the most important guy almost on the pitch. Um, you know, when you look at, um, you know, the, the, it's the so-called Makaleli role and, and you look at, you know, someone like N'Golo Kante who plays there. And when he shifted over to Chelsea, Chelsea improved dramatically. And when you look at what you know, Mourinho has his, his, his faults and his problems, but it's usually the one position he looks to upgrade almost immediately when he takes over a team is that, that number six role. And that's where I'm a little worried that we keep shifting Leonard out of there. And I would have rather seen, you know, Fernandez played as a center back. I would have rather seen maybe Fernandez in the center back and keep Leonard in there. Leonard had a, a pretty good, you know, completion rate. The other thing is I would have liked to, and I don't know if it's because of fitness or what, I'd like to see more Brandon Eaton. I would have liked to see him start um, his, you know, pass completion was around 89% on the match. But it, if you just look at him, he's a more natural midfielder um, and combines a lot better. And he plays the ball and moves and gets in positions of support. And I think in terms of, you know, not being able to link up through that midfield, that would be something that would really help. The final thing is, you know, that the Vang question that you raised, right? And um, I think Vang, you know, it's interesting, J.C. Banks, they mentioned that Telecast wanted to have the number 10, but I almost feel he's more of a number eight. Um, You know, he's more of a box-to-box guy. He's not a pure creator, but he can create, but he's also really effective defensively. And what, what being a 10 doesn't allow him to do is use his full capabilities as a in terms of his soccer intelligence to position himself on the field. Um, whereas he, he, he tends to have to be a little bit more advanced though. I think they changed that a little bit when they shifted Don in Don ended up being a little bit higher up the pitch in that second half for then JC and JC dropped a little bit, but those are the, the things I'm interested to see. And, and I'd like to see more of Eaton um, particularly off the bench if the midfield is struggling, because I think he can complete a lot of those passes and, and get the game, you know, the rhythm shifted maybe more to forward Madison's direction. Yeah. And I think with Eaton, when he came on, you noticed that at least tempo wise forward was playing a little bit quicker in that second half where it was kind of dragging. And I think, yeah, maybe it was fitness. Maybe it was just still getting up to rhythm, but his presence was definitely noted. And I think that's something that 
I don't know if he starts against Richmond, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was one of the first subs after halftime, um, just because of his energy, his ability to kind of get the ball, pass the ball, keep moving forward. And we've seen in the U.S. Open Cup last year against Bavarians, he can put a shot out from distance that could potentially result in a goal, or maybe you get the keeper to test it and you can get a rebound. So I think Brandon will have more of an influence as he gets healthier and as he gets more at the speed. I think, see, I think the opposite with JC, I think he would be better as a 10 just because of his intelligence and he can take the ball a little bit deeper and he can look and he can put a pass out wide to Don Rapallo. He can thread something through for Woj. And if he needs to, he can make that surging run into the box where he's kind of lurking, he's kind of lurking. And I would say that goal in Lansing at the end of the season is a prime example where he's waiting, he's waiting. Carter Manley had it up wide and JC's able to just put a running. He just kind of runs in and takes a shot. And I think that's what he would want to do more as a 10. And maybe that would work better as an eight, but I think with his intelligence and his ability to pick up passes, that's why I think him as a 10 and maybe that can be something where with, if Mike Vang comes back, those two just interchange every once in a while, you know, Vang might start floating in a little bit more central JC kind of does more box to box. Yeah, well, and you mentioned last year, and I think one of the things that JC did really well last year was realize when we were maybe having a little bit of trouble connecting passes together and get himself deeper in those situations. And I don't know if he has that same freedom if he's the only, you know, attacking midfielder out there. Um, It's interesting to see. I'd like to see maybe a Leonard, you know, and and here's the other thing. I think if I, I think if you look at Fernandez in the, in the six role, in the DCM role, he he has the composure. He has the defensive chops for it. He's certainly, you know, built more like you might expect a, a defensive center mid, a little taller, can win the aerial duels, maybe a little bit more than Eric Leonard. Um, if that's where you're going with him, then then let's let's play him there. Um, let's let's start him there. Let's not you know slide him in as midway through the match because I think that six you just need you know the the center backs are dependent on finding that six the other midfielders are depending on finding that six. And if you can keep that stability in there, that's, that's better for the, the health of the midfield overall and the coherence of the midfield. Cause that ultimately, if you were to ask me other than turgid, uh, what, what adjective I should use to describe it was incoherent. Madison just felt incoherent. I don't know if it was all the lines on the field, you know, that we were playing Quidditch. I think there was a squash game that broke out at some point. Um, Could have been. Yeah, yeah, maybe court tennis, you know, um, pickleball. I think they have that going on. Um, and so that was, it just felt very incoherent um, overall. Did you have a lot in the second half in terms of stuff that happened before the penalty shout in the 90th something minute? Not quite. Kind of what I mentioned with Brandon Eaton coming in that seemed to rejuvenate Ford Madison a little bit. Monis um, coming in. It, you can tell the talent is there with the kid. He has the talent. And I think he just, once he starts getting his end product, he's going to be a really good player for Chicago. And, you know, I'd say two, three years when he's able to put it all together, but he's got the speed. He's got the burst. He's very direct. I think that's something that, you know, for a young player, that's good to have. And that's why I think him right now coming off as a sub might be good against tired legs, but you know, maybe it is worth throwing him to the fire, but trying to think of other noteworthy things but i think just like with north texas the i think the ford's lack of preseason and lack of you know time to trade 11 v 11 is showing in those second halves and i mean it is tough to start the season away at north texas and at home to greenville as well i can't think of a harder start for the season so maybe it's just 
it's harder to do against better teams. If this was the same performance that they were putting against OCB or Tucson, I would be really concerned and start ringing alarm bells, but I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt of the lack of training and the first two matches being a little bit tougher. Um, so I think that's just really the biggest thing with the second half. But so, I still think Jamil Cox needs to get more playing time. Um, him getting subbed down to the 90th seems a little weird and a bit too late. And I, I would like to see more of him just because I don't exactly know a bunch. Like I not I didn't watch too much Tucson last year, but from what I've gathered from the few moments I saw, he seems to be someone that Ford would need to come in in that second half, whether he's in the midfield in the orthodox position, you just put him up wider. You can even try and put him up top and make a four four two because right now it seems like Ford's trying to do this four two three one. But the problem is JC's so isolated that he kind of renders it more as like a four, two, three, and then you have like a giant gaping hole in the midfield. <laughs> yeah, it almost felt like uh in that in that second half with with Don in there, they tried to shift a little bit more four one, four one, um, to get, you know, JC somebody that could connect with so he felt less isolated, maybe. Um, you know, before, you know, um they they shifted in in uh Eaton. So you know, and and that was in the 67th minute that that's, you know, uh, I'm with you. Um, I want to see more Cox. I mean, they were really excited when they brought him in as the first sighting. He was a guy that really wanted to get, um, you know, I don't know if he's, he's got some nagging uh, issues with, you know, fitness. One of the things uh, our, our special guest uh, tonight mentioned in our conversation with him was, Hey, I heard, you know, turbo had a, had a team only meeting. Um, and, you know, what, what do you make of that? Um, you know, my initial reaction was that's weird to have a team meeting. While I didn't think drawing anchor against Greenville is necessarily a bad thing, because if you had told me going into that weekend that, that hey, you're going to get a draw against Greenville, I would have taken it. But maybe it was just the type of, I think it was the performance itself that maybe Turbo was just like, I need. I personally think we need to do better. And maybe because it was also the first home away from home match. So you want to put more in front of the fans. So I, my first initial reaction was, this isn't great. But now that I thought about it, I kind of mentioned you got two tough games, but now there's no excuse for these kind of performances. I think that's probably more what Turtle's trying to get at is we got to turn it around and this is our opportunity to do it. And Henny Darby, Richmond on the road is going to be that moment. So while we were doing this, uh, as an introduction to our, our next guest here, Elliot Barr, to talk about uh, the Henny Derby, I got a text from Neil Holvati, who could not join us today. So there's no diving into, Neil, uh, diving into Madison with Neil Holvati. Instead, we'll just go right to our Henny Derby preview. But he said, we've got to get three points in Richmond. That's the message. So without uh, any further ado, let's, let's, let's introduce uh, Elliot. Uh, happy here. I to have uh, the, I, I think Kyle, I would call him the founder and you the co-founder of the, the Henny Derby because really he was the one that, that made the offer to you originally about the bet, right? Yes, and none of this happens if Elliot doesn't reach out to me on Twitter. So I will yeah. give him that. I will give him that title of founder and I am, I don't know what the second founder or co-founder Vice founder, I don't know what you want to call it, but I'll take the, the second the, in command. The, he's the <laughs> valedictorian, and and you're the salutatorian. <laughs> hey, that's better than what I ever did in my academic career, so I'll take it. <laughs> hey, so, it joined it joined by Elliot Barr here. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Elliot. How are you? 
I'm good, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, I think this is about what second appearance. First, I don't know. I've lost track of podcasts I've showed up on. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what that's what uh, Kyle was saying that you're gonna you you've done a couple of pods here to talk about the the origins of the Henny Derby. Well, how did you how did it get started? What 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 was the impetus? You guys hooked up on on Twitter and where did it go? You know what 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 transpired? Um, real quick, what happened was I don't know. It was like Ford Madison was like just keep chirping and chirping and chirping, and Richmond was just having like a horrible year. Like it wasn't nothing was really going good for us. And it also happened to be that um, I was planning to do a Heritage Night with the Richmond Kickers the same day that we were supposed to play forward when it came to Richmond. So I was like, well, kind of let's build up something. Let's try to make it like the game interesting in case that we have like this craptastic season, which we did. You know, let's have at least one game that we look forward to playing. So I hit Kyle up and I was like, yo, you want to bet a bottle of Hennessy? And he was like, yeah, sure. So really leading up to the first game, we're hyping it up. And like some people are kind of like talking about it, but there's really nothing to where like where it is now where Ford Madison fans are going to Richard fans and Richard fans are going to Ford Madison fans. Back then, it was kind of just me and Kyle was just like, yeah, we're betting a bottle of Hennessy. That's it. <laughs> um. And I will always be indebted to Daniel Jackson <laughs> for scoring their first goal in the Henny Derby because <laughs> that's the first win. He will always for those be my of you watching no on the simul- For those of you watching on the simulcast, Kyle has buried his head in his hands. He's, uh, <laughs> you know, he's just shaking his head in, in just shame. I've never been saltier than I was that <laughs> night because I had to buy the bottle, had to see, and find a way to ship it, which took, which required jumping through hoops in the city of Madison. And yeah, one thing that we have learned throughout this army, it is hard to ship liquor in the United States. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> easier to ship drugs than it is liquor. I would have expected, I thought it would have been easier being in the state of Wisconsin, and yet, nope, still, still as difficult as any other state. Yeah, I was like, God. So, yeah, so we actually learned our lesson. What was it? After the second game, we're four and one. And uh, my wife's friend was like, oh, I have this old Henny bottle. I can make a trophy for y'all. And I was like, all right, yeah, sure. So that's when you see the debut of the Henny bottle trophy and whatnot. And it's been that like that way ever since. And so one of the, one of the cool things that kind of transpired was that, that the, I, when the trophy finally was presented, uh, a bunch of uh, the Featherstone Flamingos made their way out to Richmond for that heritage night, which was pretty cool. I, I thought overall, and it, it ended up turning into, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about the NBA all-star weekend and, and uh, always listening to Michael Wilbon and David Aldrich refer to it as black Thanksgiving. And I was thinking, you know, that turning that, uh, that uh, match into the lower division kind of event, because the guys from, for the culture came up, the Featherstone Flamingos, you know, came out. It was kind of a, a bigger event than just the two teams in the end of it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was, well, it was partially because, like, I had to promote the whole event myself. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you work in a lower division soccer, if you want to do anything, this is for any supporters group, like, you're going to have to promote it yourself. Don't think the front office is going to do it for you. Not everyone has the blessing of Ford Madison and, you know, their media <laughs> outreach. Us normal people got to promote it ourselves. And I, like, I literally reached out to everyone that I could think of 
that's like big soccer personality, be like, hey, look, this is unique thing going on in Lord of the Soccer. First of all, it was a heritage night. So it was a night dedicated to um, people of color, African-Americans, Muslims, pretty much a night to display their heritage and, you know, their culture. Something like that has never happened in lower division soccer. Then on top of that, you had the Henny Derby. This is a game played between two teams that are just now becoming rivals in a new league. And we play for a ball of Hennessy. Nothing like that <laughs> happens in American sports. Then secondly, it's like, like you said, you had for the culture, you had total soccer show, you had Jason Day, you had Pablo Mar, you had Andy Sneeves, you had, um, I'm trying to think, uh, Gino Atkinson. You also had like the Cooligans reaching out to us. Like I still remember, who was it? Grant Wall after the game asking me for a picture of the Henny Darby trophy so he could tweet it out. <laughs> like I still remember that. And that's insane to think of like this little immature thing that we were like, oh, we're just doing it just for fun. And it's now ballooned into this unique Darby presence where people that are not even Ford Madison or Richmond fans, I guarantee you is going, this is going to be the most watched game between USA. Mm-hmm. No, that's that, probably yeah. the most watched game. And so my question is, uh, do you have plans, obviously COVID uh, interrupting that? Are you going to do another heritage night in the future? Is that, Part of your plans uh, there at Richmond? Yes, it is. We were planning on trying to do one this year, pre-COVID and everything like that. But with COVID going on and teams kind of like not knowing if the game is going to get canceled because of COVID, um, it's kind of hard to plan it. So we're I'm just sitting back and trying to just figure out things for next year, how to get things bigger and better. So one of the one of the things uh, in listening to your podcast that you guys uh, pointed out, by the way, this week is that originally the season was supposed to open with uh, a Henny Derby with Madison traveling to Richmond. Um, that was going to be your home opener. And, yeah. you know, through the, the, the sort of cancellations and the reshuffling of the schedule and all of that, it has kind of worked out that, again, this time the uh, the home opener is with uh, with Ford Madison and uh, for the Henny Derby. So. Kind of a, a little bit of luck. How are you guys feeling, you know, having – I know you watch a lot of Forward Madison. How are you feeling uh, about Forward Madison heading into this? Um, I feel – it's still weird because I don't know how to exactly place the Richmond side of it because, like like we said, we've only played two games out of a possible four. That's because two games been postponed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, it's – this is the first home opener we've had, so we don't know how this team is going to do. You know, a lot of teams, I think Richmond's squad, they do a lot better at home when they're playing at home versus when they're on the road. I think on the road, you see a lot of those, you see a lot of the Greenville games where, like, the laps and passes and not really being sharp, but then you see this team at home when they're slicing and dicing through people. Um, and I think that makes us more of a mid-table side. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think our biggest problem is just trying to figure out the midfield. I think Sawasi is still trying to figure that piece out. Does he want Kraft to be the number 10 or do you want to be the eight? What do you do with Cuomo and Mumbai? Do you have them both playing? Does it make it too defensive? What do you do with Flack? And what do you do with, you know, Bologna's? And trying to figure out that aspect of this Richard kicking side is still fascinating, but still like frustrating because you're like the South Georgia game, for instance, you can see the ideas. It was just, they're just knackered, tired because you had to drive 350 miles to Greenville, then get back on the bus to get back, 
Then you had to drive 480 miles down to South Georgia, and then you had to turn right back around. And through talking to players, they're kind of just like, yeah, it takes this wear and tear on you because you're like, you're getting amped up, you're getting ready for these games, and then it's like, all right, scrap this game plan. We got to put this game plan in because this game is now canceled. Um, that's kind of happened with the Fort Lauderdale game. Like, Fort Lauderdale was on their way here, Richard was getting ready to play, and then all of a sudden, like, you can't play the game anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with this Richmond side, you're going to see – you're gonna. it's not the Richmond side of last year. I can see the mind-numbing pass and just back and forth, not doing whatever. You're going to see – it's going to be high risk, high reward. Like, the middle is going to be exposed, but if they can connect the right pass, they can cut any team open. Yeah. Um, like I, yeah, what you about to say, Kyle? Yeah, I was going to say with that Greenville game being the prime example of the first goal that they score, you know, they get it out, they get it cleared out, give it to Bulldog, who takes it down the wing all the way. And he's, and you, you just kind of see that style. It's much more, it's much more direct and much faster. And that's something that I think was different compared to last year. And I mean, Swatsky, I don't know if that was intended in the strategy or if that was just a, you know, the opportunity was there. So I think that's going to be, kind of the difference is, I guess for those that aren't aware, can you explain the difference between what Swatsky's trying to do and what Bulo was trying to do last year? So Bulo last year was <clears throat> trying to have more build-up position out of the back. So if you look at it, he really wanted his goalkeepers, his center backs to kind of have the ball, push the ball up forward, and kind of pass the ball to open up opportunities. That works great when you have the players that can execute and a lot of the times last year, we went through a stretch of games. Like, Richmond side, don't get me wrong, we were bad. <laughs> but this Richmond team was a lot better than what a lot of people really gave them credit for. Um, it was a stretch of games where just nothing was going right our way. It was like a seven-game stretch we couldn't score a goal. But then after that, it's like you saw the complete opposite of what Bulo was trying to do. And when the passing works and when it clicks, it's beautiful. It's five, six, seven, eight passes, and then it's a goal. You know, but when it doesn't work, it's one, two, three passes, lose possession. Now we're stuck in a half. We have to fend for our lives. Um, it is constantly like us being under pressure that just wasn't working. And with Sawaski now, I think it's more of a high pressing, high tempo. It's more of we'll give you the ball and we'll put you in situations where we want to trap you. I, if you look at, you know, the first two games from Richmond, go back and look at it, the first half, really. And just see how they're always looking for that long ball on the wings. And if that's cut off, then they try to play into the middle. But I think that's the next step in Sawaski's attacking plan is trying to just build that play up in the middle. So when, it, when we get into the final third, where they're able to kind of pass around and open up space and not just like, oh, we can't counter. Now we can't do anything with it. And have you seen a, a little bit more of a, a defensive uh, emphasis under Sawatsky as he's trying to play a little bit more of this high pace, less possession style? And then, um, you know, would you say, you know, in goal, Akira Fitzgerald is back. Um, you know, he was hurt early on. He's, it seems like he's back, you know, maybe not 100%. Uh, but have you seen anything there that, uh, you know, is pointing to a weakness? Um, actually, I said it on our um – preseason podcast about how I think the defensive side of the ball is the strongest side that we've had in years that I honestly think it's it rivals Greenville's unit like if you take Greenville's back four and their goalkeeper put him in Richmond you put Richmond's back four and goalkeeper put him in Greenville you're not losing anything there's no drop off um Kyle Vintner 
he hasn't really – he's only played maybe 45 minutes of football. I think that's mostly because of just injury and just getting him back into health. Um, but outside of that, like, Aqua has been dominant on the ball. Like, the assist he had to Bulldog. No other center back can probably do that in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, Ivan Magales, I was ripping him last year. But this year, he's looked so much more improved. He's one of one defending uh, aerial duels. He looked a lot better. Ian Antley, he had a sloppy game against Greenville, but that was his first professional start against South Georgia Tormenta, against the likes of Michelato and um, God, I can't and Eric Rowe. He he played solid. And then Devontae Debussy, he's another player, very quick, very fast. He got his first start against uh, South Georgia. He's another one on the right side that I want to see grow a little bit more, but he's solid. And then a care Fitzgerald, like, if there was any doubts whether or not he was healthy or not, after that Greenville game, he squashed off all of that after the South Georgia game by making the amazing saves and saving us in that game. If that's any other goalkeeper, like we saw in Greenville, it's a different side back there. Um, he looks solid. Uh, I think the extra week of rest really helps him out a lot, you know, kind of get the ankle a little bit more massage. You know, I told him that if he needs an ankle, he can have mine. I'm not going to with it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think the back four for Richmond is no doubt one of the more solid sides. I think last year, Beulah had a solid defense. It was one of the better defensive sides. I think the real problem came in just the midfield, really that connectivity. Because um, attacking-wise, we were fine. It wasn't like we were atrociously bad. We just didn't have the chances. And that's because the midfield was just getting lost in games. So it was really like our back four really had to be super solid. And if they had one mistake, teams capitalized on it. Where I think this year, having more depth in this Richmond kicker side is is a big positive because we didn't have it last year. Like there were games where we had a back four of even Ivan Magales, uh, Braden Troyer. Who was the other one? It was Magalas, Braden Troyer, Maxi Rodriguez, and Eli Lockett. Like, that's not a back four you ever want to see. That's not good. Where this year you have – we have five center backs on the roster. You know, we still have Connor Shinovsky. We still have uh, Ivan. We still have Aqua. We still – you know, we brought in Kyle Vintner. You can also put um, Mumbai back there if need be. as an emergency. We also have Devontae. We have uh, Boozy. We have Ian Antley. We have Scott Thompson. So, so there's death back there in that back line where it's not this thing of one injury and it's like, well, we got to throw a striker at center back. It's not one of those things. So I feel really good about the backfield. Yeah, and I was going to say, if there is one player on Richmond that could be the X Factor against Ford on Saturday, who would that player be? Oh, uh, God. I- so I'll give you two because there's two players I really think can really catch the attention. Um, if he starts, Jonathan Bologna's, he starts on the left wing. Very quick, very deceptive player. He had the assist to Tarzaghi's goal in the Greenville game. Literally, he got on the field, and in the next five minutes, he gives an assist. Very pacey, very crafty on the ball. And then he also – he almost had a second assist with Tarzaghi in the South Georgia game, but uh, – Jara just made an amazing save. And then another player, I think, I think people are now starting to kind of doubt him a little bit. And I'm wondering to see how he responds to it is uh, Ryan Kraft. How does he respond to kind of being the vocal point in the team? You know, how does he get better at connecting passes in that final third? Um, Because to be real with you, he kind of 
was the reason why Greenville scored that third goal. You know, um, the South Georgia game, he played a little bit better, but I want to see more of the productivity in the offensive side. When it comes to like a number eight, him connecting passes and whatnot, I don't worry about that. I want to see what he can do in the defensive side of the ball. Can he make those assists? Can he make those, as you call them, MLS assists, the assists to the assists? <laughs> can he kind of help out in that and kind of um, help the defense kind of spurs out a little bit more? Up here in the North, Elliot, we refer to those as hockey assists. <laughs> See, I don't watch hockey, so I, I call it the MLS assist. <laughs> uh, is there anybody on forward that you think uh, could be particularly dangerous in what you've seen uh, um, oh, and that man. might pose a, that you're particularly worried about going into this match? Well, I'm always worried about um, J.C. Banks. I, I don't know what it is about him. Like, I know he's an older type player, but I, in my head, I swear to God, I thought he was like 25. <laughs> but he is someone that he can be he, – he can have no effect on the game for, like, 85 minutes. And then minute 86, he just comes out of nowhere with a banger. And I think if you can get J.C. Banks off his game, I think it kind of rattles forward. But if he's going and is he if he's cocky and his swagger's right, there's no stopping him. Another player that kind of scares me a lot is, um, is Don Smart. I, <sighs> Richmond had gotten better at corners and dealing with strikers with height, but he's someone that I think can give us a, give Aqua a little bit of a problem because he moves so much all over the field. You know, for the first five minutes he can be on the right, and then the next five he can be on the left, and then he can be middle, and then he can be in the midfield. He's all over the place, and I just want to know how can Aqua deal with that and kind of keep him out of the game where he doesn't have an impact. Yeah, and and that what you say about Don Smart is interesting because uh, in the second half there, when uh, Forward made a couple of substitutions, actually, I, I think Don was playing more in an advanced, you know, sort of center mid role in the second half, um, and so it'll be interesting to see if that continues, you know, against you guys. Um, you know, I think one of our concerns going into this is we haven't yet seen the production that we've seen in the past from from Don and Paulo Jr. Uh, out out wide, so. Uh, you know, I, I'm a little worried about that. And on the hype thing, obviously, you should be worried about Voj, uh, Voshek, Voshek, because he's he's every inch of six four. I'll say, Kyle, would you agree? <laughs> yeah, that that is a tall, tall man. Um, you would think with his height, he doesn't have the pace to go behind it, but he he can. He's pretty quick. If he gets going, you get him ahead of steam. And you saw with the North Texas goal, he can barrel towards that and get any kind of shot that he wants. Kyle, is there okay. anybody from uh, from Richmond that you're particularly worried about coming into this game that you want to bounce that idea off of Elliot? I would say Akwe. He's just been – he was really, really good last year. He, in my opinion, was one of the best center backs in the league. And I think he's going to be a guy that if he's on and he can slow down well – and he can try and contain JC if he has to. He's going to be a guy that I don't think there's going to be too many opportunities for Ford to get shots. And if he's on, he's going to be another guy that in order to get a goal, you're going to have to get on the kind of get behind him or try and just unleash a 30 yard or out for like, just kind of that type of shot. Just because in my opinion, he's got all the tools and in terms of athleticism and speed, but he has the intelligence and his positioning, especially this year, I think has been, what's really taken him to the next level is his positioning and his awareness and reading the game is a lot better. So Aqua is going to be that guy that if Ford wants to have a chance, they're going to have to find a way to get past him. 
the also interesting thing about this game, since we haven't kept this schedule, is the fact that whoever loses this game is going to have a real tough uphill climb. Because kind of like recently forward in the same space. Like we drawn a game, we lost a game. Same with y'all, y'all drawn a lost game. And whoever comes out to win this game, like if you look at Richmond's next couple of games, it's where if we win four, we can kind of start going on a streak. Where if we lose, we can kind of start teetering and be like, all right, we're going to finish mid-table. You know, same thing with y'all. Like if y'all go out here and win this game, the next couple of games kind of go in our favor. But if y'all lose it, how does the rest of the year kind of play out for y'all? Well, and I think, you know, that's one of the interesting things with only two teams advancing, too. If you get down early, you know, last year we got down early and we could we were able to recover for, for the fourth playoff spot. This year, if you get down early, that may be that may be it, you know, and then you're, yeah. you're just kind of you're on the outside looking in all year. So you can't afford to start too slowly. Forward is that we started with, you know, a couple of tough teams. Um but, you know, you look at Greenville's already got seven points from three matches, you know. Um, so if you end up after three matches at, at one point, it's a, it's a big hole to, to catch. Yeah, and I, I can see both teams truly going for it. Because um, I don't think a draw in this game helps out either, either team. Like, it's not like a draw is like, oh, it's the best thing in the world. Like, I can see both teams going for the points regardless. And, I mean, hey. Well, I want to thank you, Elliot, for coming on. Uh, thanks for your time. And you and you and Kyle are going to be on Good Morning America tomorrow morning talking about the Henny Derby, uh, if I remember correctly. I don't know if they're going to let me on Good Morning America. You know, they have a strict very one black person for <laughs> For hour, so I don't know. Me and Strahan might have to fight for that. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think would win in a fight between you and Strahan right now? Oh, Strahan! <laughs> I'm a very dirty fire. I go for the knees. Yeah, I don't fight people. I shoot at kneecaps. Man, I'm a very dirty. Fire. I have to say, unlike me, Strahan has not put on a lot of weight since his playing days. He's looking trim and fit, unlike unlike yeah. me. So yeah, I have no chance. When this train comes to me and says, "Like we got to fight," I'm just gonna be like, "All right, dude, I'm shooting your kneecaps out. Like I'm not about to fight you." <laughs> Fighting dirty. Well, th- uh, thanks again. Let's hope uh, Richmond doesn't fight dirty on on Saturday. And enjoy the home opener. And look forward to catching up with you again soon. Uh, you know, maybe one point point we can bring both podcasts together, and mm-hmm. it'll be like DC and DC coming together, or Marvel coming together. I forget which. <laughs> Which you prefer, you know, uh, which universe, but we'll bring everybody together. Hey, I'm with it, man. I'm with it. You guys be easy, man. So just want to say thank you to Elliot Barr of the River City 93 podcast. You can follow him at River City 93 on Twitter. And uh, also, if you haven't had a chance yet, they also did a Henny preview where Kyle appeared on their show. So uh, definitely check that out. Until next time, I say forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom.